Well, we uh, would definitely uh, cover your prayers, uh, especially this week as um, even Pastor and Kyle and I are probably anticipating more information is going to come out and uh, just pray for wisdom for us and knowing how to move forward with uh, different things as um, things seem to keep unfolding day by day. Uh, we need wisdom and knowing how to lead well. Um, also, as kind of going along with that, it was interesting watching ESPN over the last week um, to move from sports to talk, just talking about sports. Well, they kind of always been just talking about sports, but to move towards no highlights, they go from the, oh, the plays of the day to the plays of the week, and they're all the same plays, and then they'll probably next month, it'll be the plays of last month, and then maybe a couple months from now, the plays of two months ago, and we'll see how that folds out. But even watching people criticize and uh, figure out who should have made decisions when, <laughs> it's always tough to know. As the NCAA canceled March Madness, very sad time for me. I mean, I, I don't think they were thinking about me in that circumstance, but that's a tough call to make as things unfold. Other teams, other sports were canceling, but they waited to the last second being criticized. Why are they waiting so long? But billions of dollars are on the line billions for them and many of the athletes who are really probably struggling with that decision because that was their shot to make themselves nationally known to maybe have a, a career maybe their careers are now gone because March Madness was canceled um, some fears are legitimate some panic some fears are not we need to be cautious we need to be wise and good stewards with what we have in front of us I'm sure none of us are going to be saying, I'm glad I had 500 rolls of toilet paper as opposed to 300 when all of this is said and done. I don't know. I don't know. But aren't you thankful for the gift of memes in times like this? Funny memes that have been out there rolling around. Um, you can tell we live in a crazy time. As I read um, online this uh, just yesterday, that you know we're in a crazy time of life when it snows mid-March and no one complains about it online, on Facebook. <laughs> so you know something really serious is going on when we're not complaining about the weather. <laughs> but as we come to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 22. But we come to this passage and Jesus is in a very tough time in his life. One of his good friends, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded. He finds out about this news and he desires to go to a desolate place, to go get alone, to be away from everything. And we find out that that doesn't get to happen right away. But you can understand that mentality. Something tragic happens, you want to get away. You want to be alone for a little while. He wanted to take time to pray and be with his father. But the crowds knew that he was there. And so they came upon him, bringing many sick, and he says, I'm going to heal them. Instead of getting away, like what he wanted to do initially, he saw and he had compassion on the sick, and he healed them. Then they were hungry. They didn't have food. It was getting to that time of day when there wasn't anything around them, but they were getting hungry. And Jesus said, we, well, we have five loaves and two fish, so... Let's feed everybody. <laughs> Over 5,000 people he fed, and there was leftovers. In the Gospel of John, it says they ate as much as they wanted. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, he says that they all ate and were satisfied. The people that were sick were healed. 
The people that were hungry, he satisfied. And even after all of that, Jesus recognized that there was still a need. There was still something going on. There was still something that was lacking in his disciples' hearts that they didn't quite understand yet. So because of that, he puts them in a boat. Let's look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning with whatever trials or fears that we have brought in here with us. May we find comfort and hope in your word. Comfort and hope in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about the, the storm that God has planned for us, I pray that this is a comfort to you. And it's hard to see the comfort yet when Jesus, especially with the disciples, when Jesus puts them in a storm and leaves. He says, all right, you guys go out. The storm comes up and Jesus is going to go away by himself. It's hard to imagine how that would bring comfort. But this is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning. So in the Sea of Galilee, we, we believe somewhere around the Capernaum area is where Jesus might have fed the 5,000 in a desolate place. And then he sends them on the boat to go to the other side. It wasn't to the clear other side because they're going to end up in Gennesaret on the left there where um, we'll find them at the end of this story. And so he had a purpose for the storm. It said in verse 24 that the wind was against them. Now this wind often came off the mountains and would come up very quickly, but I wonder if this wind being against them is not just what happened, but what was intended. For a, for a storm and a wind to be against them and against what they were trying to accomplish. They were trying to get to the other side. They were trying to get to where Jesus wanted them to be, but here we have an obstacle that is hindering them from where they wanted to go. It's believed that the disciples ended up being around two to four miles, almost right smack dab in the middle of this sea at its widest point. So they were out there. No doubt that they were scared. They've been battering against this, um, the waves and the storm for hours and hours, trying not to be shipwrecked, trying to do what Jesus wanted them to do. And Jesus put them in that storm. Do you think Jesus knew there was going to be a storm? Absolutely. He put them in that storm. And one thing we know about Jesus is not only does he have authority to calm the storm, or as we saw, authority to walk on the storm, but Jesus also had the authority to put the disciples in that storm in the first place. We often love the idea of a Jesus calming the storm, right? Jesus making everything easier, a Jesus who makes everything better, who Jesus who makes all our fears go away and just makes life easy. But we don't often, if we're honest with ourselves, don't often like the Jesus who puts us in the storm to begin with. Right? We want Jesus to come in, maybe like a genie, just to make everything better. That's what he's good for. 
to make my life easier, to make my life simpler, but to find out that maybe Jesus made my life a little more difficult? Do we like that type of Jesus? In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus will say that all authority, all authority has been given to him. It's all been given to him on earth and on heaven. In Colossians chapter 1, we see that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And it says that all things were created through him and they are created for him. So even the tough things, the the storms that are in our life are created for him. And if we're thinking about it, we often put people we love through tough things, don't we? If you have young kids at home, don't you make them do hard things at times? And why do we do that? It's not because we don't love them, it's because we do love them. We want them to maybe have a difficult time with something to maybe teach them the value of hard hard work. Maybe we want to teach them um, that uh, even though something is hard, it's good to do. Maybe we want them to learn to do something on their own. We show them how to tie their shoes, but then they keep asking for help. We say, no, you need to learn to do this on your own. Isn't that a good thing for them? Even though for them, that is a big trial. It's tough and difficult to learn how to do that. And maybe we give them something hard to do so that they learn to ask for help. Sometimes they might always try to do things their way, and they don't never want to ask for help, but you give them a task that's really difficult that gets them to that point where they say, I need help. As you think of this storm that Jesus has put the disciples in, what do you think he's trying to teach them? It's not for no purpose at all, but he has a reason for it. And as they're in this storm, where is Jesus? Does he know what's going on? Does Jesus know about the hardships of his closest friends? Does he care? He's not doing anything about it. The storm is still raging on. Where is Jesus? I'm guessing the disciples were thinking that. I probably would be thinking that as well. Not too long ago, Jesus was on the boat with them. Remember that? Jesus was sleeping on the boat. There's a great storm that came up, and the disciples were terrified, and they said, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And then Jesus, with a word, he calms the storm. So they were frightened with Jesus on the boat. How scared do you think they are with Jesus not on the boat, and they are in the storm? And it's easy to start thinking like this, to think, how can Jesus save me from my trouble? How can he just deliver me from this uh, unpleasantness, from this trial that I'm in? Maybe we want Jesus just to fix all of our problems. Let's look at verse 23. Where is Jesus? After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain to pray by himself. He's on a mountain to pray. He just had heard, remember, this is what he wanted to do from the beginning. He wanted to get away to pray because his friend John the Baptist had just died. And so the time stamps that we see here is that in early evening is when he sent the crowds off and when he went off to pray. The next time stamp that we get, we find in verse 25, which says the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 to 6 a.m. Jesus has been praying for hours, spending time with his heavenly father for hours. And why would he do that? Here's a few reasons why Jesus would pray. As a a brief side note, a little bit here, on why Jesus would pray. He would pray to invest in his relationship with his father. 
We see Jesus doing this. It's a regular occurrence for him to withdraw to desolate places to pray. He knew that he needed to commune with his father. He needed to speak with him. He needed uh, to uh, draw upon him that relationship as he was living in a world that was difficult, a world full of sin, feeling hunger for the first time ever in his eternal existence, feeling tired. He needed to be with his father. Secondly, to demonstrate his dependence on the father. Matthew 26 is the passage where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane leading up to the cross. And he draws on his uh, dependence on the Father. And as he tells his disciples, hey, pray with me. And he goes back, finds them sleeping. And he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He understood. understood why they were tired. He understood how the flesh is weak and he needed and depended upon the Father, especially in those times of great distress. And then he pleads for us. And John 17 is a wonderful chapter uh, that where we can get a glimpse into Jesus' prayers for his disciples, his prayers for us. He pleads for us, for his church to be unified, for us to be sanctified in the word. When we see Jesus on the cross, he pleads to God the Father to forgive the people who are putting him there. We see Jesus, when he's raising Lazarus from the dead, that he desires, he's praying for them, those who see this action, to believe. He pleads for us. Paul Tripp, in his uh, book on suffering, he says, When no one hears and understands your cries... In those moments when it feels useless to cry, God listens, hears, and answers. Your Lord listens with a tender and sympathetic heart. He answers not because of what's in you, but because of the grace that is in him. What a wonderful truth. He hears, he listens, he answers. In getting back to the disciples, what do we find them not doing? They're not praying. We don't find them turning to God. When Jesus was on the boat, they said, Lord, save us. They were turning to Jesus, the Savior. But now that he's not there, I wonder, are they thinking, God isn't here either. If Jesus isn't present, then who can I cry out to? We don't find them praying. There's no pleading for safety at all. But then in verse 25, we see Jesus coming to them. Remember, they have been laboring for hours and hours, fighting against the storm. We find Jesus comforting them in this storm. So as they've been going hours and hours, it's the middle of the night. They are exhausted. They are sleepy. No doubt they're hungry again. It kind of reminds me of an all-nighter with teenagers. You get to that 3, 4 a.m. mark, and you are like, you are seeing things, okay? I mean, even with all the lights on, you are tired and exhausted. You have to train yourself that no matter what a teenager says, at three in the morning, whatever they suggest, you say no. No matter what it is, no. The answer is always no. I don't blame the disciples at all. In the middle of the night with storms all around them, all of a sudden they see a figure walking on the sea. He's walking on the water. What would you have guessed it was? course it's a ghost it's a ghost what else could it be look at that it says when they were terrified they said it's a ghost they cried out in fear and then jesus says but immediately 
Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus coming to them, walking on the very thing that they were afraid of. Isn't that great power? Isn't that tremendous to see that the thing that they are afraid of, Jesus is showing his power over it. And he's not showing his power over it just to make it stop. He's showing his power over it while it's still going on. The storm is still happening. And as Jesus said in John 16, he says, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In their frightened and tired state, Jesus immediately, immediately brings comfort to them. He says, it is I. And that's a significant phrase. Saying it is I, it has the same authoritative power as when Moses was before the burning bush and he was told that he had to go to the most powerful person in all of the world and say, hey, I want to take all these Israelites back with me. Moses was saying, he's like, I can't just go up and do that. I don't have that authority. I don't have the power to walk up to Pharaoh and say, give me all these people back and we're going to leave. He's like, who am I going to say is sending me? I don't have the authority. And remember what God says? He says, I am. I am. Tell him the I am has sent you. And that's all the authority that you need is because of who I am. This eternal, self-existent one, this powerful, sovereign God sends you. When Jesus comes to bring comfort to them, he doesn't bring comfort by calming the storm. He brings comfort by saying, the I am is here. The I am, it is I who am here. The comfort that they so desperately wanted, the fears that they wanted to stop, was found in Jesus. And the same is true for us today. It's not to make things stop. (laughs) It's to find our comfort in him. Because imagine if Philip and Bartholomew on the boat were struggling. Bartholomew, he turns to Philip, he puts his arm on him, he says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Philip would probably be like, okay, that's nice. I'm glad you're here. But can you start rowing again? That'd be great. You have, you have no power to really do anything about this. That wouldn't really bring much comfort at all, right? It'd be like, okay, I'm glad you're with me in this, but you can't really do anything about this storm, can you? Jesus coming and saying, it is I, that makes a difference. That changes things. That's why Christians, we comfort one another by pointing each other to the I am. The comfort that we bring one another has to be different from the world. It is different from the world. Yes, we bring some level of comfort by being with each other. In the tough times in life, by being present, by by showing love, absolutely we bring comfort that way. But the comfort that we can bring that will truly change a fearful heart, it's found in Jesus. That's why it's different. Verse 28 and 29 says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if that is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Why would Peter want to get out of the boat? Why on earth? There is a storm that is still happening. 
Why would he want to get out? I wonder, did he really realize that he was leaving his earthly savior in that boat? That was what was keeping him safe, right? Was he leaving his earthly savior to go be with his eternal savior? I don't know if that thought crossed his mind because Peter is often a guy who leaps before he looks, jumps right into things, but he got out of the boat. That makes me think, wow, what great faith does Peter have to get out of that boat? Man, amazing. What a tremendous act of faith. And that's until I read verses 30 and 31. And I'm like, oh, was it a tremendous act of faith? It says, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Man, if Peter had little faith, what kind of faith did the guys in the boat have? That's what I want to know. Because that, to me, that was a big act of faith to step out of that boat. But this term little faith it doesn't really mean that his faith is insignificant. It doesn't mean that this faith is of no value at all. This term little faith just showed that, that there's room for growth, that there's more faith that is available. It's there. He's not quite there yet. It's like seeing a child who is content with a hot dog, right? When you have steak, marinated, filet mignon, bacon-wrapped steak, that the child's like, yeah, I think I'll just have a hot dog. And you say, oh, oh, you of little taste. Oh, you of little taste. You do not yet know <laughs> what is out there. You don't understand yet. He had, he had faith to step out. He had faith in Jesus, the Savior, to go out there and stand on that water and walk towards him. But there's still so much more to learn. So much more to understand that he wasn't quite there yet. We have to recognize that Jesus does commend him, at least for having faith. Other times that Jesus mentioned and said, oh, you of little faith, he, when in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about, why are you anxious? Why are you worrying about your clothes or what you're going to eat? Oh, you of little faith, why do you worry about those things? Doesn't God clothe the lilies of the field? Doesn't he feed the birds? says, why are you afraid? And in Matthew chapter 8, at that time when he was on the boat with them, he still said, oh, you have little faith. Because they did cry out to Jesus, didn't they? What a right response. They said, Lord, save us. Save us from this storm. So they did have faith in him, but it was still little faith. He mentions it later in Matthew chapter 16. After the feeding of the 5,000, they're like, ah, oh, we forgot to bring food with us. Jesus is like, don't you remember what just happened a little while ago? Oh, you of little faith. And then in chapter 17, when they realize that like, Jesus can cast out demons, but we can't. Why can't we do this? Oh, you of little faith. They had fear in them still. There is still growth. There was still room in their hearts, in their faith in Jesus, and their understanding of him. There was room for growth. But they did have faith. But it was little faith. When Peter took his eyes off of the I am and he saw the wind and the storm, that's when he became fearful. When he was looking at Jesus, he was not fearful at all. That whole time, though, we need to understand that Peter only walked on the water because of the power of Jesus. 
It wasn't because Peter within himself had the ability to walk on water because of his faith. It was not, he, he did not have sovereign control over the storms and the winds and the waves, but it was his faith in Jesus. It was Jesus who had that power the whole time. It wasn't Peter's power in himself to do that. Where do you might have little faith? Where do you have little faith? Do you see God doing great things? Do you worry maybe about whether the next paycheck, if it will be big enough to take care of your family? Do you, are, are you exhausted like the disciples were exhausted in their trial? Are you exhausted in your trial? Who do you look to in those times? Are you looking to Jesus? Of you of little faith in those times that you fear and worry and doubt, look to Jesus. And we live in a time right now where there's much fear. There's much panic all around us. Are we different than the world? Are we responding different than the world is responding to the COVID-19 crisis? Do we believe that Jesus who created the heavens and earth is that same Jesus who is in control of every molecule and virus? Do we believe that? I read recently in an article, it said this, this is a good time for Christians to demonstrate sanity, peace, and hope, recognizing that our lives do not depend on the entry of a microorganism into our bodies. Yes, we take precautions, but we do not panic. We look to Jesus. And as you look to Jesus, remember when Jesus came to Peter, he didn't calm the storm before Peter stepped out of the boat. The storm was still raging on as Peter was walking on water. And when he began to sink, the answer was not for the storm to stop. He didn't reach back for the boat, thankfully. He didn't cry out for his friends to save him. He cried out to Jesus. He said, Lord, save me, rightly so. And as he cried out for Jesus to save, I love this word, immediately. This is so wonderful. Jesus immediately reached down and saved him. And as he reached and immediately saved him, how did Jesus save him? By calming the storm? No. By reaching down and bringing him to his side. And then when Jesus asked why Peter doubted, why did you doubt? The storm was still going on. It was probably the longest walk of Peter's life, walking back to the boat with Jesus on water. Because the still storm was still happening. I'm not sure what types of trials that you might be going through. There are many of you here with heavy hearts, maybe weighed down by this uh, coronavirus. Maybe you're just weighed down by the weight of sin. You're weighed down by the death of a loved one. You're weighed down by the chronic sickness that keeps coming back, hospital visits. You're weighed down by a job loss or a job that makes it tough to pay the bills. Maybe you're weighed down by consistent issues that are in your family. Maybe it's something that I didn't say. I don't know what you might be weighed down with this morning. But let, me, let me encourage you with this, that Jesus comforts you in the storm. He doesn't comfort you just by getting rid of the trials. He comforts you in the storm with his presence. He says the I am is here. So we must confess to God and to each other that we as a church are united around this Savior. 
and that we will point each other to Christ in these storms of life. That the one who put me in this storm has a purpose for this storm and is with me in this storm and will one day, yes, deliver me from the storm. Will you commit yourself that when a friend, maybe this morning, shares with you about a trial in their life, would you commit yourself to pointing them to Jesus? Say, I'm here for you, but more importantly, Jesus loves you. He knows what's going on. Let's pray to him together. Would you be willing to commit to that? Will the comfort that you bring them not just be a, I'm there for you, but point them to the one who has control of their hearts, who can change their hearts, who can turn them to having hearts that are softened to him. The Gospel Primer, a wonderful book, I encourage you to read it. It's not just a very thin one. It says, the good news about my trials is that God is forcing them, those trials, to bow to his gospel purposes and do good unto me by improving my character, making me more conformed to the image of Christ. Do you view your trials that way? Do you think they're out of control? Or do you realize that God has a purpose for them? That God is over those trials? And that his purpose is to glorify himself and also it's to do good for you, even though it's hard. It's hard to see it in the midst of the storm. It was hard for the disciples to see what the point of the storm was while they were struggling and fighting against it. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't a purpose. There was. Jesus put them in the storm. He called Peter out even more into the storm. And they walked back together through the storm. It was only when Jesus got into the boat that the wind immediately stopped. And in John 6.21, a parallel passage to this, it says that they immediately arrived at the land to which they were going. Isn't that amazing? To be teleported that way, out of harm's way, immediately the storm's gone, and immediately they're at the place that Jesus sent them off to in the first place. Jesus delivers them from the storm with his presence. Let's look at verse 32 and 33. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When we look back at the situation the disciples were in, it felt like forever. They had been in this trial for hours and hours fighting the storm. They probably thought they would never arrive at the place that Jesus had sent them to. And then in an instant, as soon as Jesus enters the boat, he doesn't even say anything this time. Before, he calmed the storm with his word. Now he calmed the storm by just arriving. He steps on the boat, the wind ceases. They are exactly where he sent them. They arrived at the destination that Jesus told them to go to. Now, the disciples could have had a couple different reactions to this. They could have been like, really, Jesus? You make us go through all of this when all you had to do was just step on the boat and we would have been there? Why couldn't we have done this in the first place? Why did you send us out into this storm? What were you thinking? I'd probably be tempted to say the same thing. I bet I have said the same thing. In the storms that I've gone through in my life and the trials I've had, God, what are you thinking? It's all better now, that's great, but why'd you make me go through all of this in the first place? If you knew it was all going to be fine at the end. 
before we start to think that the disciples had it all figured out. We just see them worshiping. What a wonderful response. Truly, you are the Son of God. They weren't always there. In another parallel passage in Mark, we see at the end of this, he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And then we find a little peek into the hearts of the disciples. It says they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. As they had just seen the feeding of the 5,000, they had just seen that the hungry were filled and satisfied. They just saw those who were sick were healed. Remember, Jesus knew that there was still something lacking. There was still something that hadn't been totally cured yet. The hardened hearts of the disciples. They didn't understand. They didn't know why this was all happening. But then going through this storm that Jesus put them in, got them to the point where their hearts are now softened. Got them to the point where now they're saying, truly you are the son of God. It was through the storm that softened their hearts. Where would you rather be? Would you rather have a life that is free and easy? A life of no trials at all and at the end of it, not understand who Jesus is? Or would you rather go through trials? Would you rather go through the hardships that Jesus has planned for you, knowing that at the end of it, you could have a softened heart and understand and know and see who Jesus really is. Now, going through trials does not guarantee that you'll have a softened heart. <laughs> Just because you go through something difficult doesn't mean you're more, more holy at the end of it. But do you see, do you turn to Jesus in those trials? As you turn to the God of all comfort, as you turn to the great I am in those trials, it'll help you to have that softened heart so that you will come out at the end of it saying, truly, he is the son of God couple chapters later we're going to find Peter again jumping to a conclusion but a right one when Jesus says who do you say that I am he says you are the Christ the son of God do you think he would have gotten to that point if he didn't go through these trials do you think he would have gotten there I don't know if he would have gotten to that point without having walked on water sinking and Jesus confronting him and saying oh you of little faith why did you doubt? All of our trials in this life, they're not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed. As Jesus comforts us with his presence, we need to understand that one day, these trials are going to be gone. You're not going to have to deal with them anymore. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have your total faith in him, this gets to be you and me. At the very end of it all, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Your trial that you're in right now, it might not end today or tomorrow or the next few weeks. I don't know. It might not be the next few years. You might be living with a trial that's going to take your entire life to go through. But it will be over. Because there will be one day when sin will be no more. There will be a day when all death will be over with. All hardships, all storms will be gone. But for those of you who know Christ, 
Are you looking forward to that day? Does knowing this truth that Jesus puts you in storms, does that draw you to him or does it turn you away from him? Knowing that Jesus puts you in trials, does it make you love him more or does it make you hate him? Knowing that Jesus sometimes makes your trials last a long time, does it make you put more faith in him or less? Now before you answer, let me remind you of something, especially as we lead up to Easter weekend. Here's my little plug for the Good Friday service. You need to come to that. Because Easter weekend, or Easter morning, is all the sweeter and more joyful and thrilling and exciting after you've spent an hour on Friday, somber, reminding yourself of what Jesus went through, reminding yourself of the trials that he put himself in. Man, Easter morning is just so much more glorious when you take that time on Friday to remember what Christ has gone through. Remember this? Jesus put himself in this trial. He was wounded for your transgression, for mine. He was crushed for my iniquities, for yours. Upon him was the chastisement that brought me peace. And with his stripes, I am healed. You can be healed if you put your trust in him. He's the great I am. He's the one who can bring comfort in these storms. The same Jesus that puts us in trials is the same one who went through the ultimate trial of going to the cross. Not because he deserved it, but because we deserved it. And he desired to have a relationship with us. And if he puts us through trials for his glory and for us to become more like him, why did he put himself through that trial? Well, it was for his glory and for us to have a relationship with him. He has full authority to put us in trials and he had the full authority to lay down his life and to be the sacrifice for us so that we could have life. Do you know him today? Do you know the Savior? Do you have a relationship with this wonderful Jesus, this great I am who, yes, puts us in storms, but also comforts us in the storms and delivers us from the storms? Do you have a relationship with him? If you don't, I want to encourage you to come talk with me. I'll be up here in the front. Or maybe somebody here you know, uh, maybe you know them better than you know me, that can point you to Jesus. Please talk with them today. Today could be your day of salvation from that eternal trial of spending eternity in hell. Today could be that day where you are delivered from it. And if you do know Christ this morning, you might be going through some tough times. If you want to come up to the front and just have a word of prayer, I would love to pray with you. Or if you just want to take time and pray by yourself, whatever would be an encouragement to you, just take time, turn your attention to the I am. Turn your attention to the one who has full authority, who has the one in control of everything, that he will turn your hearts back to him. And as we close, we're going to sing the, the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. I love the lyrics of this song that really help us and remind us that he says, when I fear my faith will fail, who do we turn to? Who holds us? Who reaches down and saves Peter? Christ. Christ will hold us fast. And then at the very end, it says, till our faith is turned to sight 
when he comes at last, when that trial is over and we are delivered from it all, from, with this great I am that we turn to, let's pray to him together to now. Lord, we turn to you. You are the great I am. You are in control. You have full authority to put us in trials. You have full authority and you love us in those trials that you come and you comfort us. You come alongside us, you help us, and you point us to yourself, the one who has true control over it all. And that comforts us and also knowing that you deliver us. We are so thankful that we can turn to you. Thank you for desiring to have a relationship with us. Thank you for sending Christ to endure that trial so that we might have life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.